Thank you very much. Uh, Russell, I, I, I know an introduction is needful, especially with so many new ones that I haven't had the privilege of meeting. But I, um, I, I didn't want an introduction at all after that song from uh, Suzanne and, and Andrew. Uh, in fact, I, as I listened to them sing, I, I just kind of wanted to come up here and uh, pray the words with you back to God and, and uh, say amen and say, okay, let's go get them. You know, I can't approve on that. They sang, let them know, let them know, tell them, Jesus loves them so, so much that to Calvary he would go. Let them know that they too can go to live forever with Jesus. If you've grown up in a Christian family, you've had no choice but to really pretty much take those great truths for granted. Yet, most of the world has never heard that. And as the next verse describes so well how the world is, not only, not only in Eastern Europe and Russia, Soviet Union, China, Africa, South America, but the next verse applies to people even right next door, right in this valley, who, who don't know yet. Many lonely people are searching everywhere. I have never seen anything like I've experienced in these last few months of people searching. I mean, they are searching. They're just crying out. They're saying, could this be it or what is it? It's just incredible. Looking for the answer that will change their lives of fear and despair. If you've grown up in the comfort of a wonderful Christian home, you've never known what it's like to have a life characterized by fear and despair. But most of the world, most young people your age have grown up in an environment where their life is characterized by fear and despair and questions about why they're alive and is it worth it all. Jesus is the answer. He is the one who really cares. But only if we'll tell them they can have a life of happiness. It can be theirs as well. Let them know, let them know that Jesus loves them so. I miss being here. I miss those of you whom I know, students, faculty, and staff. I miss the tremendous fellowship that, that we had here together. But I couldn't be more excited about what I'm doing. I've worked uh, in an exciting way in military intelligence when I was just a little older than you. I've been a corporate executive beginning at a relatively young age. I've been privileged to be a pastor, then a college administrator. And now, by God's marvelous grace and blessing, he has allowed me to become a missionary. And if I were one of you here this morning, my greatest fear born out of my experience, would be that somehow God wouldn't let me be a missionary. There's no greater adventure known to man. To be an ambassador for the King of Kings to a nation that is headed for total eternal damnation. To be sent by God to a country that is in despair and searching for the answers to the critical questions of life. To be sent by God to rescue people who have no hope and no chance unless someone goes.
to spend your life telling people that God sent his son to save them from their sins and to give them life abundant and eternal. Imagine getting to spend your life doing that. Imagine. We live in tremendously exciting times. In all of history, there has never been anything at all to compare with the last 12 months. God has declared his power by turning evil atheistic governments upside down already in nine countries. And there are four or five more in process right now. Leaders who mocked God and led their people to follow the philosophies of men have been judged by God and they've been removed. Even a whole nation, East Germany, has been removed. As of today, we only have a united Germany. The changes which have already resulted have been more than remarkable. I'm going to just list a few things here of the kind of things that God has changed in governments, in formerly atheistic, totalitarian, terrible governments. Governments who were known for closing churches are now helping churches build and expand. I know of one situation in the Soviet Union where a young pastor told me how he'd gone every day to City Hall in his city for six months, pleading with the government to give him a choice piece of land right downtown to build a church. And you know what? They gave it to him. Beautiful, level land with trees. Gorgeous. Governments known for burning Bibles are now printing Bibles. Governments who were known for removing children from Christian homes so that they couldn't be taught the Bible are now asking pastors to come into the schools and teach the Bible. Governments who prohibited Sunday school classes are now making public buildings, their school buildings, available for Sunday school classes. Universities which previously barred Christians from even attending. If you were a Christian and they, if they found out you were a Christian, they kicked you out of the university. You couldn't even get an education. Such a university I now have an agreement with. A signed, sealed agreement with the signature of a communist dean and the seal of that university and the seal of Send International and my signature. An agreement by which this university has agreed to provide intensive language training for missionary candidates. One year ago, a Christian couldn't even attend that university. Can you believe it? What kind of a God do we serve? Employees who, employers rather, who persecuted Christians and kept them in the lowest level jobs are now not only recognizing the Christians as being the exemplary employees, but they're promoting them pointing them out as the examples to follow. Governments who didn't allow Christians to discuss their faith outside the church walls are now encouraging evangelistic meetings in parks and public squares and in football stadiums. And the police and the soldiers you will see standing around the edge of the crowds, listening attentively. People who were taught all their lives that there is no God are now willing to pay two weeks' pay or more just to get a Bible. Where schools all taught atheism systematically, scientific atheism. If you had gone to a school in any of these countries as you were growing up from preschool right up through the university, the way that we teach the Bible, and the way that the Bible, the truth of God's word, permeates every subject area and every aspect of life on this campus, if you had been in one of those universities, scientific atheism would have permeated every class, every activity. You would have been taught every 
way that there is no God. And where they've been taught that, the Bible is the hottest thing in the whole land. God is not mocked. After 73 years of evil leadership in the Soviet Union and more than 40 years in Eastern Europe, in the Eastern European countries, it is as if God said, finally, enough, enough. He is in control. He has been all along. It seems as if he weren't in control, but he has used the communist leaders to produce an unprecedented spiritual hunger. We stand on the edge of what should be the greatest harvest of souls ever in all of history going back to the first century. Already more than 425 million men and women are freely accessible to the gospel who were not this time last year. 425 million more people that we can get to with the truth that Suzanne and Andrew sung, sang so beautifully about. In the Soviet Union alone, there are nearly 300 million people. And from my experience there, do you remember the story about the Philippian jailer? He got a little shook up after the activity at the jail and said, what must I do to be saved? It's like the whole Soviet Union. In my mind's eye, we have 300 million Philippian jailers in the Soviet Union all saying, what is truth? What must I do to be saved? And there are only 300,000 evangelical Christians who can answer their question. That is only one for every 1,000 people. If all the Christians in the Soviet Union were missionaries, there wouldn't be nearly enough for them to reach their country. We must go and help them reach the great nation of the Soviet Union. The fruit is causing the trees to sag. We must go and help in the harvest. But what about now? What about next week? What about the, the opportunity that you're going to have? That's what I'm really here to, to talk about. But I had to speak to you out of the context of which I'm living at the moment. I've just been at a meeting in Spain for about 10 days, a meeting of the leadership of our mission that's held every three years to set the course for the next three years. And at this meeting in Spain, my research time was over. I'd been doing research for nine months to, to find out what we might be able to do as a mission in these various countries. And now I come to you as, as I guess, a recruiter because our mission voted unanimously the leadership that Send International should go ahead full speed into eight countries at the same time. All of Eastern Europe. We're, even, we're claiming Albania. We're, we're, we want two people for Albania, and it isn't even quite open yet, but we're confident it's going to be open in the next few months and all the rest of those countries. And then I've just been last few days up in Saskatchewan, up in Saskatchewan at the Briarcrest Bible School at, at their big fall missions conference. I've never been anything quite like it. There were more than 100 missionaries there. More than 100 missionaries. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to John in chapter 14. Do you know how much money you could make in the Soviet Union if you took all your Bibles over there and sold them? They'd even buy English ones, you know, you could make a fortune. They must be valuable. The theme verse for our missions conference is John chapter 14 and verse 6. 
this is a tremendous passage of scripture. Often it's used at, at funerals because the setting was the Lord Jesus comforting the apostles, his disciples. He was getting ready to go to heaven and he wanted to comfort them. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Use this to get excited. Do you think about heaven much? Do you know? Sometime when you have a little extra time in your devotional time, go to Hebrews chapter 11 and review about the great heroes of the faith. You ever wonder what kept Noah going for 126 years building an ark uh, to put it into a sea which he had never seen to get it away from too much rain which he had never heard of? With everybody laughing at him for 126 years as he worked building the ark, he was the village idiot and he kept working. What kept him going? The clue to that is in Hebrews in chapter 11. There are two things. There are two clues there. Don't turn, turn there. I just want to bounce off it a little bit. There are two clues that kept Abraham going and, and Noah and all the rest of the great heroes of the faith. One, they, they confessed that they were aliens and strangers. They confessed they didn't belong here. You think you belong in America? You don't belong here. If you have by faith received Christ as your Savior, you are a citizen of heaven. That's where you belong. And all too often, we as Christians try to get a comfort level established so we feel good about being on earth. You'll never achieve your potential for God if the focus of your life is to be comfortable on earth. We are called to be aliens and strangers and pilgrims and wanderers, just passing through this life to see how many we can take with us when we go to heaven for a life of eternity in the presence of our God. And so that's what Jesus was talking about here. He was saying, don't be troubled because I'm going to leave you. And he talks about how it's going to be a little bit in heaven and how he's gone to prepare a place for us. I, I would have, if I, back to verse 2, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Boy, in my own life, I don't think enough about heaven, you know. I want to think more about heaven. If we would learn to think about heaven, we would have so much more energy. First of all, because we couldn't wait to get there. And secondly, because our hearts would be so broken for the people around us who aren't going to get in on it. Unless we let them in on it. Thomas said, verse 5, Verse 4, and Jesus said, finishing this, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him and to us this morning, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the father but through me. And covering this globe are exploding false religions that are teaching that there is another way. That there is another way. And they're beginning to penetrate the great spiritual hungers of Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. I mean, they are showing up everywhere. 
A pastor in the city of Odessa told me in August that that he had come upon the, the town square one day and there was a huge group of people over in one corner all congregated and he went over to hear what was going on. A Buddhist was chanting. He walked up around the edge of the crowd and he said to a couple of the people, you know, are you into this kind of thing? And they said, well, you know, he might have the answer. Buddhism might be the way. It's up to us to go and to teach them the truth, that there is no way except by Jesus Christ. Turn over to John chapter 15, please. Oh, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. This is the passage where Jesus talks about how he is our friend. Is he your friend today? Is Jesus your friend? He should be our closest friend. Beginning in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Oh, do you want to have joy that surpasses the greatest joy you could ever imagine? Imagine. I mean, he's promising that we can have we can have joy the size that the Son of God can have. We can have joy of a magnitude and quality that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has. And he just told us how we could have that joy. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. His friends. You are my friends, what? If you do what I command you. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And the power is in the next verse. Okay. Jesus speaking, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That's you. That's me. If you have by faith received Christ as your savior, the Lord of lords and king of kings, the creator of the universe, chose you in a very personal way. And not only did he choose us, he didn't choose us just to be friends. He appointed us right into his army. Oh, there are times when I think about what goes on at the Master's College and the great fun that goes on here and the wonderful fellowship and, and how we have a culture here that, that isolates from the evils of the world and all of that. But the purpose of the Master's College is not to provide a safe haven for Christian young people that they might, might not be tainted by the evils of the world. The purpose of the Master's College, why has God brought you here? This is a military training institute. You are here to be trained to be a faithful, effective sharpshooter in the Lord's army. That's why you're here. Oh, it's almost frightful to consider how accountable we are for being in a place like this. How accountable we are. There's a war out there going on between good and evil, between Satan and God. A tremendous war has engulfed this universe. And you have been chosen by the chief 
by the head of the army of God. And you've been appointed by him and sent to this place to be trained so that what? So that you should go and bear fruit. Oh, you should go and bear fruit just because you were chosen and appointed. But you're, you, God's given you a bonus of blessing to be able to come to a place like this, to be trained in the scriptures, to be nurtured by faculty and staff who love you and want to see you go from this place effective for Christ. So you've not only been chosen, not only been appointed, but you have been given already, you upperclassmen, tremendous equipping to be a soldier for the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And why? So that you could not only go, but that you would bear fruit. And not only fruit, but fruit that should remain. That can only be spiritual fruit. All he's talking about here, the purpose of your life and mine, after you have trusted Christ as Savior, the, the, the priority of all priorities. The purpose, very purpose, hard center core of our lives is to do what? Is to tell other people as they were singing, to let them know, to let them know the many around the world who are scared and in despair and not knowing which way to turn, to let them know. And I believe, and this is kind of scary. I believe that those that God has brought to a place like this, he is training up. And if you will walk in obedience, he is going to use you to storm the strongholds of Satan. The strongholds of Satan. Because you have been equipped in an unusual way. To penetrate the Muslim world, it seems impenetrable. But it will be penetrated. And it will be penetrated by people who have been trained and equipped like you and who will allow the power of God to work through your lives to penetrate those places where Satan seems to have in complete control. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Boy, when, when we think of the world, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. We've been chosen, lifted up out of the world. Chosen, appointed, lifted out of the world. Given citizenship in heaven. And then sent back into the world. As he says in John chapter 17. Think about the world. We get confused about the world. You know, we confused about the evil, about the lifestyles that about self-centered people. The world has been taught by our media that, that the end of all joy and the good life can be found in pursuing that which enables you to acquire the most stuff, the most status, and the most personal enjoyment. Things that are totally self-centered and focused on yourself. Exactly the opposite of what we are called to be as Christians. We are called to follow Jesus. What did he do? He came and gave himself away totally. Totally. That's what you and I are called to do. To give ourselves away totally. You want to know how you're doing growing in Christ? How much are you giving yourself away each day? That's the best measurement I know of maturity in Christ. How much are you giving yourself away each day? But the thing that's really interesting to me about the world is that the world is doing a wonderful job of being the world. And we seem surprised. Have you ever noticed that? Crime gets worse. Drug addiction is always on the increase. 
Every kind of evil keeps getting worse and worse and worse all over the world, and we keep seemingly being surprised about that. The world is doing a tremendous job of being the world. If we could get the church to be, to be the church half as effectively as the world is the world, we could reach this planet for Christ in our generation, couldn't we? And sometimes, sometimes we get confused about the world and we're afraid of them. And we're intimidated by them. You know, even as you go out next week, the silliest thing in the world is for someone who has the, has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, the same power that created the universe, the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. Why in the world do we sometimes allow people, people who are trying to cover up their fear every day because they're scared, because they don't know who they are, where they're coming from or where they're going. They haven't a clue as to what life is all about. But sometimes they speak in a loud voice and they intimidate us. We allow them so often to intimidate us. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Whether it's next week or whether it's when you go to work at McDonald's or whatever you do when you leave this campus, we've got to come to the point where we see the world not as the enemy but as the victims of the enemy. They're the victims of Satan. And we are the ones to take the message of Christ and to rescue them from where they are. Boy, learn to look in faces. This missions conference, when you go out on so many wonderful opportunities, boy, it's a time to just leave, leave all thoughts about your classes back here in your dorm and really ask the Lord to help you focus. Look into faces. See the despair. See the emptiness. See the fear in their faces. Even when you meet rejection, the rejection comes out of despair. The rejection comes out of fright. Love them. Love them. May God give us that perspective on the loss that we see them as sheep without a shepherd, as they really are, as Jesus said. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know which way to go. And they have no chance whatsoever unless the shepherd comes and picks them up and rescues them from falling over the cliff. And so it is with each one of us as we encounter those lost sheep that we should have in our mind that God has brought us into their life to reach down and pick them up as a lost sheep and clutch them and love them and love them to Jesus. Let them know, let them know that Jesus loves them so. And this is where Jesus was praying, praying for his apostles and disciples, and but he was also praying for us. That's so exciting to know that the Son of God, when he walked on this planet just before he went back to heaven nearly 2,000 years ago, prayed for you and he prayed for me specifically. And it's right out of the context here where he's praying to the Father and he's, and he's saying that with regard to to the apostles and the disciples. He's saying, as thou didst send me, verse 18, into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Think about that. Boy, what implications. As God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, the way he did that, and for the purpose that he did that, as he sent his son into the world. Why did he send his son into the world? To rescue the world, didn't he? 
to rescue it. He gave his son to rescue the world. And he says about the apostles and the disciples, I also have sent them into the world in the same way. And then verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also, also may be sanctified in truth. And here it is in verse 20, referring back to what he has just said in the preceding verses, including the verse that talks about how he has sent the apostles and disciples back into the world in the same way that he sent Jesus to come and to give himself for the lost. And he says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who also who believe in me through their word. That is you and that is me. This is the apostles' word here in the New Testament. And it is through their word that we have believed. And even as Jesus was saying to the Father that he was sending the apostles and the disciples into the world as, as he had sent him into the world to rescue it. And many of them were called to die a martyr's death, weren't they? And some of us may be called to die a martyr's death. Then over in Matthew chapter 28. You know, somehow it's almost impossible to speak a missions message without going back there to this great, great passage, this great... We call it the Great Commission. And I can't understand how so often... In churches across America that missions has sm such a small role to play. When it's the whole reason that we're here, you know? I mean, the purpose of a church is to bring people together to equip them so they can reach their community for Christ. That's the purpose of a church. So they can then send people all over the world and reach the planet for Christ. That's the purpose of a church. And somehow we've gotten confused in many churches in America and in Canada as well. And Throughout the West, we've gotten confused and we think a church is a place where Christians go to have a country club and isolate and minister to each other and seek deeper truth and grow and grow and grow and isolate and isolate and isolate. That isn't a church. I don't know what that is, but it isn't a church. You know what they usually do after they've done that for a while? They have fights and they split and they divide and they have terrible fights. Why? Because they're not doing what God called them to do. Verse 18, Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, as you think about the missions conference, and his mission's really important. Okay, here you have the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who created the universe, the one who came and gave himself, who died for you and for me. I can't imagine having more authority. There's no way anybody could ever have more authority. And it's not only authority on earth, but on the heaven and universe. I mean, how far does the universe go? We don't even have any idea how far it goes or, or, or how many other planets and galaxies there are. It's so big, it's so vast, and he's got power control over all of that. He knows what's going on all over that every day and all authority on earth. And we see the authority on earth as governments have toppled. Governments that have denied his existence are gone overnight. The one who has more authority than all the kings, all the presidents, all the prime ministers, all the governors, all the may mayors, all the people who have ever had any kind of political leadership, if you added all that up from the beginning of time till now, that would begin to compare with the authority that Christ has. And he reminds us of that authority. And he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Boy, that's, that's got to be something we've got to sit up and take notice about and listen and say, well, boy, when he talks about walking in obedience and about how he'll be our friend 
if we walk in obedience to his command. Boy, if we're not walking in obedience to this command, no way can we be a friend of Jesus. No way. And I love it in the Greek where it's, he doesn't, he really doesn't even command us to go. I mean, he assumes, he assumes that because he's asking that we're, we're gone, we're on our way. He says, while you're going, while you're going, by the way, while you're going, be careful to make disciples of all the nations. Of all the nations. Boy, that means the nations, the nations where they don't allow missionaries in, doesn't it? It means all the nations. That's, that was my job assignment a year ago, to figure out ways to get into the countries where the missionaries aren't allowed to go. The Lord must have thought it was too hard a job because I don't have to do that anymore. Right? It's incredible. Well, I'm trying to figure out in the first few months how we're going to get missionaries into countries where missionaries aren't allowed to go. Suddenly the Lord opened the door. So I don't have to do that anymore. But there are a few countries like China where it gets worse and worse every day. If you think of it, pray for China. Christians are being very severely persecuted in China again. Because the Chinese leaders are saying, hey, the Christians had something to do with what happened in Eastern Europe. So we're not going to let them do that here. So we're going to... We're going to make life really hard for Christians in China, and that's what they're doing. How do you disciple a nation? How do you disciple a whole nation? Make disciples of all the nations. So not only all the nations, all the nations, and that means all the ethnic groups. It means every people, every people, all the ethnic groups of Los Angeles. Some of you are going to go into ethnic communities, and it's fantastic, because that's exactly what he's, he's asking you to do next week. But how do you disciple a whole nation? Well, that's why a liberal arts college, like the master's college, with so many different majors. How do you disciple? How do you reach and disciple businessmen? Well, you have better access to them if you're a businessman, right? So we have a business major that's committed to advancing the kingdom of God through business. What about teacher education? Well, you become a teacher. You get to love kids that nobody loves. You get to go in hard, difficult communities, even here in America. You get to go where, where they've never heard about Jesus. And you get to love them. And you get to disciple children and reach parents because you love their children and they want to get to know you as a teacher because their child has never seen anybody like you before. Pretty soon you've reached whole families and more families and more families. And pretty soon the Lord makes you the principal of that school because everybody in the community loves you and then you're able to hire all the Christian teachers that you want to hire. Tremendous. That's how you disciple a nation. That's how you disciple a nation. In every career field, in every fabric, whether it's, it's in the media world, whether it's in government, every fa- whatever you think that God is calling you to do, whatever he puts in your heart and makes interesting to you as a career, that is probably, if you are walking in obedience, where he's calling you into a special place that he's had in mind in eternity past, where there are going to be people that he's had in mind since eternity past for you to touch in a unique way because of your giftedness, because of your talent, because of your p- personality, because of your physical appearance, because of everything like about you that he has in mind and he's going to plop you right in there if you walk in obedience and you go where it seems that God wants you to go. And you'll be playing a key role in discipling the nation that he has called you to. But before you can do any of that and before we can be effective, before we can be effective, next week on the missions conference, we have to look at our hearts. And I want to ask you over these next few days, this next week, Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Don't be out there going through, through motions because your heart isn't right and God can't use you. Be sure that you are spiritually ready. Turn to Psalm 51, please. Psalm 51. 
in your quiet time in the next few days. I want to encourage you to read this whole psalm and meditate upon it and pray it back. But especially verses 10 through 13. Look at verses 10 through 13. Boy, this is right on. You want to be ready for God to use you next week. Some of you are scared to death. Some of you have never before shared your faith. You've been, you've been raised in, in, a, in an airtight Christian community, and that's okay. But it's not given you much opportunity. And now you're getting ready for when you finish here, and you're going to have lots of opportunity. And we want you to be ready for that. And so now we, we want every student here to get experience in telling others that the truth, that Jesus died for them. And so to be ready, verse 10, look at it with me, verses 10 through 13. And just pray this to the Lord. In fact, we'll do it in a minute together. Create in me a clean heart, O God. A clean heart. That's a totally clean heart, you know. You know if your heart is clean today. You know it right now. There's something there that shouldn't be there, something you're hanging on to that you need to give over to the Lord and get rid of. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Boy, sometimes I get bogged down. I come home from all these trips and I'm worn out. I'm exhausted right now. Boy, I, I need to have my spirit renewed, a steadfast. Are you tired from studying? God will renew your spirit. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Do you want to know the joy that you knew the moment that you gave your life to Christ, the moment that you surrendered to him? He says, Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. And you can put your name in there. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners will be converted to thee. A promise. A promise. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. But he can't do it unless our heart is clean. Unless our spirit has been renewed within us. Unless we know the presence of the Holy Spirit. Unless we have the excitement, unless we've been restored to the joy of our salvation, we've got to be excited about our faith. And he will sustain you with a willing spirit. You feel like you don't, you've got to do it, but you don't want to do it next week? You've got to do it, but you kind of don't want to do it? Here's the prescription for that. He will sustain us with a willing spirit. And then you will be teaching transgressors the ways of God and sinners will be converted to God. Let's pray together.